Hi, this is Shiva Ramanagan from Johns Hopkins University. When we last left off, we were talking about our generalized approach to imaging patients with hematuria, and specifically, how to put together the best possible CT urography protocol. Now, now that we've talked about protocols, let's talk a little bit about hematuria. And when you're confronted with a patient with hematuria, which is very common nowadays if you do any kind of imaging, either in the outpatient or emergency room setting, there really are a number of different causes that you potentially could encounter on CT. As you can see on this list, you can see abnormalities at the level of the kidneys, the ureters, the bladder, or even areas outside of the traditional urinary tract, the prostate, patients who have urinary catheters, trauma, anticoagulation, so on and so forth. Now, some of these etiologies are not going to be readily apparent on a CT scan, but I'd say the majority of these are. So anytime you're evaluating a patient with hematuria, there are probably somewhere between 10 to 15 different diagnoses that you potentially could make as a radiologist that are not going to be readily apparent to the emergency room physician. Now, when a patient presents with hematuria, I think really you can subdivide that into really two, two separate presentations. There's patients who present with microscopic hematuria, which is incredibly common, and that's probably somewhere between 2 to 3% of all patients who are asymptomatic. In the vast majority of patients who present with microscopic hematuria, you're never really going to find an abnormality no matter what kind of examinations you perform. And I'd say the only one of these patients who need further workup are those that have specific risk factors. Now, on the other hand, patients who have macroscopic hematuria, that's a much more concerning finding. The risk of malignancy with macroscopic hematuria may be as high as 5 or 6%, and these patients definitely need further evaluation. Not only do they need imaging of the upper urinary tracts with CT, CT urography in particular, these patients all require cystoscopy to evaluate for a subtle bladder tumor. Now, when you're dealing with patients who potentially could have urologic malignancies, it's important to understand some of the major risk factors, and some of these are in common regardless of whether you're thinking of RCC or TCC. The older the patient is, the higher at risk they are. Male patients are definitely at higher risk than women. Things like smoking, analgesic abuse, certain chemical carcinogens, chronic inflammatory conditions of the urinary tract, and prior radiation all place the patient at higher risk for a urologic malignancy. Now, I think for the most part, most of the diagnoses that we can make on a CT scan in patients with hematuria are relatively obvious. But I think the one diagnosis that can be incredibly difficult and that's why I'd like to concentrate on it during the course of this lecture, is transitional cell carcinoma. Now, this is not a very common malignancy. You know, probably a few thousand cases every year, less than a thousand deaths every year, and only 10% of all renal neoplasms. But I think despite the fact that it's not all that common, one of the reasons why I think it's so important to concentrate on it specifically is because it can be a very, very difficult diagnosis to make. Now, the specific risk factors for transitional cell carcinoma or at least part, have some, some things in common with urologic malignancies in general. Cigarette smoking, analgesic abuse, chemical carcinogens, certain types of aniline dyes, certain types of chemotherapy, especially cyclophosphamide, and even, some people think, heavy caffeine use. Now, when you're trying to diagnose patients with transitional cell carcinoma, I think it's best to really compartmentalize the urinary tract. So I always look at these CT urograms in three separate stages. I start by looking at the intrarenal collecting system, also known as the pelvic system. Then I move on and look at both ureters. And then finally, I focus in on the bladder. So why don't we start by talking about the intrarenal collecting system, and specifically pelvic TCCs. Now, the vast majority of upper tract TCCs tend to be relatively small and superficial, 
and they have a very good prognosis. And only a small, small minority ultimately end up being more aggressive, usually with a multifocal and infiltrative presentation. Now, unfortunately, these aggressive variants tend to be relatively easy to diagnose, right? They are large, aggressive, infiltrative masses that probably don't even require a dedicated CTRography protocol. The problem is that the early TCCs, the ones that are slightly less aggressive, are also the ones that can be incredibly difficult to pick up on, particularly if your protocols aren't absolutely up to par or if you're not sure exactly what you should be looking for. Now, most intrarenal TCCs tend to be in the areas with the largest amount of urothelium, so it's not surprising that TCCs in the intrarenal collecting system tend to be most common at the level of the renal pelvis, but really, you can see them anywhere in the pelvocalocele system. Regardless of whether you're dealing with the infiltrative variants or the variants with a better prognosis, there is a strong tendency for multifocality and bilaterality. So anytime you see a single lesion, your job isn't done. You have to look through the entirety of the remainder of the collecting system with a strong index of suspicion to look for another multicentric lesion. Now, when you're dealing with intrarenal TCCs, the primary imaging finding that you're going to focus in on is urothelial thickening and enhancement. And almost always, it's going to be focal rather than diffuse. Now, when I see urothelial thickening and enhancement that's diffuse, bilateral, involves multiple different areas in the collecting system and ureters, the presumption is that it's much more likely to be inflammatory and infectious rather than a malignancy. But anytime you see thickening and enhancement that's focal, that has to be considered suspicious for malignancy and that patient needs to be worked up further. Now, urothelial thickening and enhancement are usually readily apparent on the source axial images or the MPRs. But that being said, there are a number of other ancillary findings that can be difficult to pick up on the axial images and are much easier to identify on 3D imaging. And these include focal obstruction and dilatation of a calyx, amputation of a calyx, or even irregularity and destruction of a calyx by a tumor. So here's an example of a relatively obvious finding now that I put arrows on it. You can see that there's subtle urethelial thickening involving the upper pole calyx. And, you know, even though it looks re relatively obvious on these images because I've pointed it out with arrows, believe me, you're scrolling through this, this image set fast, you're trying to go through 15 cases in an hour or whatever it is, this is, a this is an imaging finding that could be very easily overlooked. But notice how much easier it is to make this, to make this diagnosis when you have 3D imaging. It is clear that that upper pole calyx is narrowed, irregular, and there's a surrounding soft tissue mass. If you solely rely on the source axial images and the MPRs, you are going to miss these diagnoses. I can absolutely promise you. Here's another example illustrating the utility of 3D imaging. If you just look at the MPR in the cortical medullary phase, pointed out by the arrow, you can see a subtle infiltrative soft tissue mass. That is clearly a transitional cell carcinoma. But you can imagine that that's pretty easy to overlook, especially when you're going rapidly through the data set. That small, hypodense soft tissue mass blends in readily with the adjacent medullary pyramids and can be very easily overlooked. But if you look at the 3D imaging, particularly in the delayed phase, you can see that there's an infiltrative mass that's destroying and amputating that upper pole calyx. What was a relatively tough diagnosis on the source axial images and MPRs is a very obvious diagnosis with the utility of 3D imaging. Now here's another example illustrating how carefully you need to be looking for urothelial thickening you can see that there's urothelial thickening involving the entirety of the proximal ureter and distal urinary pelvis, and you can see there's mild hydronephrosis immediately proximal to that lesion. That is a transitional cell carcinoma. Here's another example illustrating how useful 3D imaging can be in terms of illustrating the full extent of a tumor's infiltration. 
Now, based on the source axial image in the delayed phase, I think you can all see that there are some subtle nodules there in the renal pelvis. So you, the presumption has to be that you're dealing with a primary transitional cell carcinoma. But that being said, if you look at the 3D image in the delayed phase, you really get a sense for how extensive this tumor is. There are multiple small nodules everywhere throughout the right intrarenal collecting system, multiple different small filling defects, irregularity and destruction of several calyces. This is multifocal TCC, not just a subtle small tumor nodule. Now, for the most part, the vast majority of focal filling defects or focal urethelial thickening in the intrarenal collecting systems do tend to be transitional cell carcinomas. Rarely, you'll see something that's inflammatory or infectious that mimics a tumor. And once in a while, I've seen cases of lymphoma, a few metastatic lesions, some infiltrating variants of RCC, which do make up about 5 or 10% of all renal cell carcinomas, and very unusually, certain unusual forms of xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis. Now, as difficult as intrarenal transitional cell carcinomas can be to diagnose, I think they're nowhere near as difficult as identifying ureteral transitional cell carcinomas. This is an extremely difficult diagnosis to make, and unfortunately, even though ureteral TCCs can occur anywhere in the ureter, they tend to be much more common in the distal ureter, up to maybe 75% of all cases, and that's unfortunate because frankly, the distal ureter is the most difficult part of the ureteral system or the ureter to completely distend despite having good protocol or having a good contrast bolus. Now, most of the time when you see a ureteral lesion, it's going to be transitional cell carcinoma, but again, you will rarely see ureteral lymphoma or ureteral metastatic disease. And in fact, just in the last few months, I've seen cases of the ureter being involved by both prostate cancer and by a colon malignancy. Now, the findings of a ureteral TCC tend to have much in common with intrarenal TCCs. The most, most important finding by far is going to be urethelial thickening and abnormal urethelial enhancement. Now, when I see diffuse thickening and urethelial enhancement involving the entire ureter or both ureters, that's almost never going to be a transitional cell carcinoma. Typically, you're looking at ureteritis, often infectious, and I'd say most often that's going to be an ascending infection in the setting of a cystitis. But anytime I see urethelial thickening that's asymmetric, focal, particularly with hyperenhancement, the presumption has to be that you're dealing with a ureteral TCC. Now, other findings that can help you can include ureteral calcification, which you have to distinguish from a ureteral stone, periureteral fat stranding, which usually represents extramural spread of malignancy, a discrete filling defect or mass, which unfortunately is not that common, and I think most importantly, a discrete site of transition in the ureter. So when I see a ureter that's decompressed distally, but relatively dilated proximally with a discrete site of transition, that is never going to be normal. Now, it could be peristalsis, but for the most part, I'm going to interrogate that site of transition very carefully, looking for any evidence of subtle urethelial thickening or a discrete soft tissue mass. In many ways, my evaluation of the ureters is going to be very much akin to what we used to do on flora. You're going to look for a transition point and then interrogate the transition point for a lesion. Now, here's an example demonstrating how subtle some of these ureteral TCCs can be. In this example, this patient had had hematuria for, I think, over a year, and no one had ever found an abnormality on repeated CT scans and, I think, at least two different cystoscopies. But in this case, you can see that clearly there is subtle urethelial thickening at the level of the mid-ureter with an associated area of narrowing of the ureteral lumen. Here's another example which is extremely subtle. An area of focal narrowing on the 3D images with an associated subtle focus of urethelial thickening. Again, a very small but real transitional cell carcinoma. 
Here's another example which is even more subtle. This patient has a duplicated collecting system on the left, and you can see on the 3D images that there is clearly an area of narrowing with mild dilatation proximally in that proximal ureter on the left. And if you look very carefully after looking at the 3D images at the source MPRs, you can see that there is very, very subtle urethelial thickening there. That, unfortunately, was a very tiny TCC. Now, here's perhaps the most subtle case that I've seen in the course of the last year. Now, this was a patient who had actually been imaged at one of our sister hospitals several times, never found a cause for the hematuria. The patient had undergone several different evaluations, and I think had gone to a few different hospitals where CT scans had all been read as negative. One of my colleagues subsequently read the study here at Hopkins and was just a little bit bothered by the 3D imaging. And if you look at the 3D image on the left, this VR image demonstrates very subtle irregularity along the medial aspect of that left proximal ureter. Now, if you look at that, I think it would, wouldn't be completely unreasonable to say, well, maybe that's just peristalsis, maybe we didn't get very good distension. But any time you see an abnormality on the source axial, I mean, any time you see an abnormality on the 3D images, you have to go back and look at the NPRs and the source axial images to see if there's anything that correlates at that site of abnormality. And if you look back at the NPR image, you can see that there is very, very subtle urethelial thickening along the medial aspect of that left proximal ureter, resulting in little irregularity of the ureteral lumen. That is the world's tiniest, most subtle TCC, but it's a real lesion. That's a real tumor, and this patient ultimately underwent nephroureterectomy. Now, one of the mistakes I see people make all the time is that they assume stranding around the ureter means that it's inflammatory. Now, that is, for the most part, true. Most of the time when you have periureteral fat stranding, it means that you're dealing with an inflammatory process, typically ureteritis in a patient who has cystitis and ascending urinary tract infection. But every once in a while, I've seen cases where extra periureteral fat stranding actually represents tumor spread. So the patient has a primary ureteral tumor with extramural spread of malignancy into the adjacent periureteral fat. And that's exactly what you're seeing in this patient. This patient was having macroscopic hematuria. You can see there's focal urethelial thickening and enhancement in the left renal pelvis with subtle, I mean, with significant periureteral stranding and edema. That is extramural spread of malignancy. And in this patient, the remainder of the ureter was normal, which made the possibility of an inflammatory or infectious condition much less likely. If there's anything about this that strikes you as slightly unusual, there's nothing wrong with recommending the patient be evaluated by a urologist. Now, in addition to extramural spread of tumor with periureteral fat stranding, the other thing that I can think, the other finding that I think can be very helpful is looking for hyperemia and tumor neovascularity. In this example, notice how the entirety of the left ureter looks attenuated on the 3D image and there's subtle asymmetric hydronephrosis on the right. If you look carefully at the coronal NPR, you can see that not only is there urethelial thickening and hyperenhancement, there are actually multiple small vessels that are feeding the ureter. That's neovascularity, and that's a finding that you're never going to see with just run-of-the-mill infection or inflammatory ureteritis. That has to be a tumor, and this patient must receive a follow-up ureteroscopy. Now, unfortunately, I think one of the most difficult locations to evaluate in the ureter is the distal ureter, largely because of inadequate distension. And no matter how good your technique is, I think that evaluating the distal ureters is just really problematic, either on the source axial images or on the NPRs, largely because that distal ureter is often running out of plane. It's partially going to be running in the AP direction and also partially running in the craniocaudal direction. But I think that's where the 
3D images can be incredibly helpful because you can put the entirety of the ureters pretty much on one image and identify subtle areas of urethelial thickening and luminal irregularity. Now here's an example that was actually missed on the source axial images but looks incredibly obvious on the 3Ds. Right? There's a clear filling defect in that right distal ureter that shouldn't have been missed but is much easier to identify on the 3D imaging. Finally, I think we're all relatively comfortable with looking for transitions when we're dealing with the bowel, right? Proximal bowels dilated, the distal bowels decompressed, you look at the flight of transition to figure out if you can find some kind of an abnormality at that location. And I think you really have to approach the evaluation of the ureters in very much the same way. Utilize transitions to your advantage. In this case, there's clear hydroureter proximally, and then all of a sudden, if you look at the distal ureter, it's completely decompressed and narrowed. Now, all too often, I think when people see that kind of an abnormality, they just as a reflex, assume that they're dealing with peristalsis. Now, that may be true most of the time, but it's not always true. And that's why it's so important to look at that site of transition for subtle urethelial thickening and enhancement that may portend the presence of a tumor. And here's an example of that. This is the so-called goblet sign. Proximal dilatation, distal decompression, a focal area thickening at the, at the site of transition. That is a transitional cell carcinoma, and this patient underwent a nephroureterectomy. So now that we've talked a little bit about intrarenal and ureteral TCCs, why don't we stop here? We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about something that we at Hopkins have started paying a lot of attention to in our day-to-day -day practice, and that's bladder transitional cell carcinomas. I'll see you later. Thanks a lot. Bye.